And if you would please uh, stand with me as we read God's word together, John chapter 5. And uh, Jesus here is talking to the Jews, and he is uh, talking to them about the witness to himself, about why they should believe he is who he claims to be. And I'm going to begin in verse 31 of John chapter 5. Jesus says to the Jews, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Let's pray as we begin this, this study, Gospel Foundations, talking about the, the truth of the gospel we see even here in these first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your blessing on this uh, series we're beginning this morning. We, we ask that you would help us to, to understand some very difficult portions of Scripture. We, we pray that as we, we turn to this portion of Scripture that the result of studying these words would be that we know you better and that we love you more, and that we are more committed to, to living a life of faith that's manifested in obedience to you and your instructions to us. We would ask, Father, for those this morning who are hurting, we, we think of those who have lost loved ones, and we think of uh, the, the, the grief and the sorrow, help us to, to sorrow and, and weep with them. And we pray for those who are rejoicing, who have welcomed new life into this world, and uh, those who have uh, had great things happen to them this week. We pray that we rejoice with them as well, and we pray that you'd help us to live this life of faith and obedience to you. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. When I think about the first five books of the Bible, the the Pentateuch, I I don't necessarily think of of one big story, and that was certainly true when I was a kid. I didn't think of of the Pentateuch as being one big story. I kind of thought of the Pentateuch, these first five books, as being a collection of 
of, of individual stories. You know, there, there are five separate books that all dealt with the same kind of period. They were all about Israel's history, but there were five books that were separate, although related to the same subject. And then each of these books had smaller stories in it. And in my mind growing up, the stories were kind of shaped by maybe media that I had seen of the stories or other things that I had read. And so I, I thought of the story of Adam and Eve as a story, and then the story of Noah, and then there was the story of, of Joseph, and there was the story of, of Moses. And, and all these things were kind of separate stories. And again, my, the images that came to my mind when I thought of these stories were shaped by other things that I had seen. So I thought of the story of Moses, and I thought of maybe Charlton Heston or something, or these, these desert scenes, or the, the, that DreamWorks movie, The, the Prince of Egypt. I, I kind of had that imagery in my mind as I thought about that section and that story in Scripture. Or maybe I came to the story of Noah, and I thought of the storybooks of this, this guy on a boat with a bunch of animals smiling and stuff. Or maybe I thought of the story of Adam and Eve, and thought of the cartoon characters with strategically placed vegetation as you looked at those, those stories. And you know, you, you have these images in your mind of, of these separate stories, and, and you didn't really think of the Pentateuch as, as one book, as one work. But it is. It is. And, and furthermore, this section of Scripture is a section of Scripture that we haven't treated very well. I think of those who are, are critics of Christianity or, or skeptics, and they approach this portion of Scripture very negatively. And oftentimes you hear people who are critics of Christianity point to this section of Scripture and say, well, you don't believe this part of Scripture. So, for example, this last week I was reading an article by someone and they were talking about how some people claim to believe that the Scripture is authoritative in their life. But this person said, in actuality, Christians pick and choose what parts of Scripture to take seriously. And as she was writing this article, she mentioned several examples of things that Christians don't do. And every example that she gave in this article was from this portion of Scripture, from the Pentateuch. She said, you know, you guys say that you believe that the Bible is authoritative, but when it comes to actually doing what the Bible says, you pick and choose, and gave several examples. All of them came from the Pentateuch. And so skeptics of Christianity would, would look at this section of Scripture and kind of have some negative things to say about it in terms of its application to life. But I would also say that Christians themselves don't approach this portion of Scripture the way that we ought. We sometimes see this portion of Scripture as this, this, this part that doesn't really apply to my life. And I come to it, and maybe I'll read the individual stories, and then I'll kind of skim through that boring stuff, and then I'll come to another story and, and read it, but kind of quickly. And we don't really think that this part of Scripture has anything to, to say to us. It's from a long time ago to a different people, and so it's not really the Word of God in the same way that the New Testament is, or the, the Gospel of John, for instance, that we read from earlier. But what does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? What he says here in, in verse 46 of, of John 5 is, is very intriguing to me. And right before verse, verse 46, when he says, look, there's, there's someone who's going to accuse you. He's talking to the Jews, and these Jews have set all their hope in the Scriptures. They believe that they are followers of the law, and they believe that their confidence for their relationship with God is based upon how they've approached the writings of Moses. And Jesus says, look, you've, you've set your hope on this Scripture, but there's a problem. There's someone that's going to accuse you. 
And it's not me, it's, it's Moses. And what does he say? He says, for if you had believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Now, what does it mean that Moses wrote of Jesus? When Jesus says, Moses wrote of me, what, what does he mean? Does he mean that like Moses was writing the, the Pentateuch and there, there's like this verse in Leviticus and it's like this obscure verse in the back of Leviticus and Moses wrote, oh, and by the way, uh, there's this guy coming named Jesus, the Messiah. And like it was kind of just this little tiny verse. Or does he see, mean something more profound? I believe that what Jesus is saying is that Moses, as he wrote the Pentateuch, was actually pointing to something beyond the events that were taking place in the Pentateuch, that Moses was writing of Jesus, that Moses, as he writes the Pentateuch, is is writing about the, the coming of a Messiah, the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And Moses' writings are designed to point us to the Messiah. Moses' writings are gospel foundations. That's what I believe that Jesus is saying. And what I want us to do as we go through this portion of Scripture is to gain a deeper understanding of the gospel. I want us to come to these first five books of the Bible and gain in our understanding of who God is and his character and God's desires for us. I want us to have a deeper understanding of of sin and what it means that God has redeemed us from sin. I want us to grow in our passion for God, to understand more fully what it means to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which, which is something that the Pentateuch exhorts us to do. I want us to grow in our love for God and understand what it means to live a life of obedient faith. There are things about the gospel that you and I cannot understand apart from understanding the Pentateuch. There are parts about the fullness of the gospel message that we cannot grasp unless we understand this part of God's word. And so I'm looking forward to going through this this part of scripture with you. By the way, I've been spending a lot of time studying this over the last few months, read some books, and I'm going to be referencing some things, and, and sometimes I'm going to remember to, to cite people, and sometimes I'm not. So let me just kind of give like a beginning cite here. Uh, my thoughts here have been really shaped by uh, Walt Kaiser and then also by John Salehammer. Those are two guys that sometimes I may inadvertently quote, even though I'm, I'm not, um, not doing the quotation marks up, up here whenever I, I speak sometimes. And so those guys have really influenced my thinking. Also know this, as we go through the Pentateuch, we're not going to be able to, to read every verse together. There's a lot of material here that we're going to have to get through. I want to get through some, some big themes in the Pentateuch and spend some time, but we're not going to, to read every verse together. And so what I would encourage you to do is be reading through the Pentateuch on your own. And each week what I'll, I'll try to do is tell you where I'm going to be going the next week, and maybe we'll do that in the post-Sunday uh, app, the post-Sunday application we put on our Facebook page and stuff and YouTube channel. And so Next week, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and 2. If you want to get ahead, read Genesis 1 and 2 uh, this week, and we'll be talking about that next week. And I'll tell you the portions of Scripture that we're going to be covering, and each week I'll kind of give a maybe a five or ten minute uh, talk of where we are in the context, so we're not missing the themes, but we're not going to read aloud 
every verse as we go through this. But as we go through this portion of Scripture, I'm, I'm hoping that you gain an understanding of who God is and love Him with our whole hearts and live by faith in Him. And what I want to do this morning to help us do that is lay out five truths about these five books. Five truths, and I don't want to make this too academic, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out a truth, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, and then I'm going to try to give you an implication that helps you see, okay, this is a truth that's helpful for me as I approach this very important section of Scripture. Okay, so let's dive in here, and here's the, the first thing that I want you to see as we look at this part of Scripture. The first truth is this. Uh, the Pentateuch has a human author. The Pentateuch has a human author, and Scripture tells us that the author of these first five books of the Bible is Moses. Moses is the guy who writes this and compiles the Pentateuch. When does he do this? We're not totally sure exactly how this works. We know that obviously the book of Genesis covers events well before Moses' lifetime at the the beginning of the creation of the universe. Uh, We know that there are parts at the very end of the Pentateuch that cover Moses' death, and so he probably didn't write those sections, and he probably was relying on some other material for Genesis, or maybe God just told him, but we're not exactly sure how all this took place, but we know that, that Moses at some point in his life wrote the Pentateuch. Maybe took some material that had been passed down and, and compiles it through God's work, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But perhaps, perhaps there's some, some sections in Numbers that give us a little bit of a clue in the process that Moses went about. Remember the people had wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they come to the Jordan River, and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. They're encamped in the plains of Moab, just on the the eastern side of of the Jordan River. And there on the plains of Moab, there's several times in the book of Numbers where it talks about God speaking to Moses and and Moses speaking to the people. And and perhaps it's in that time where they're encamped in the plains of Moab that that Moses is compiling this material and, and writing down the Pentateuch to help the people as they go into the promised land. But all throughout Scripture, we, we see that Moses is the author of this scripture. Joshua, in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. He talks about this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, and he's talking about the Pentateuch. Joshua 8.32 talks about the, the law of Moses, which he had written. 8.34 talks about the words of the law, the book of the law that Moses had written uh, Joshua 22.5, Joshua says, be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. So Joshua, writing right after Moses, understands that, that Moses is the author of this section of Scripture. The prophets speak of Moses being the author of the Pentateuch. 1 Kings 2.3, David says to Solomon, uh, do everything that's written in the law of Moses. In 2 Kings 14.6, it talks about a king's reign, and it says he was, it kind of evaluates his reign on the basis of what he did according to the law of Moses. Ezra refers to the book of Moses. In Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, uh, Daniel is, is praying to God, and he's asking for forgiveness for the sins of the people of Israel. He says, uh, God, we, we know that we've sinned, because of our transgression of the law. And we acknowledge that the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us. 
And Malachi, the prophet Malachi, or God through the prophet Malachi says, remember the law of my servant Moses. And so all throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament writers and prophets know that that Moses is the author of this section of scripture. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to the law of Moses. He, for example, talks about the story of the burning bush speaking uh, to Moses, and he refers to that as the book of Moses. Paul, Luke, Peter, all mention Moses being the author of of this section of Scripture. Now, why is that important? Here's the implication. Here's the first implication. The Pentateuch isn't, it's the first implication I want you to see, the Pentateuch isn't just a random hodgepodge of laws and stories, names and poetry, but it's, it's a single story with a theme. The Pentateuch isn't just this random hodgepodge of laws and so a bunch of people different, wrote, different people wrote this and they just kind of, uh, everyone just kind of grabbed them and stuck it in a, a book. But it's, it's a, a book with a single story and, and a theme. Moses, as the author, had something that he was trying to communicate as he wrote down the events that we find in the Pentateuch. There's a unity here to this story. Moses compiles and and edits and writes these things to tell a story. And it's possible that there was another prophet after him who made some some uh, adi- additions, such as Moses' death, made some, maybe some slight changes, but those were, were slight enough to where Jesus and the other New Testament writers and all the prophets refer to Moses being the author. My kids love the, the Marvel superhero movies, and I've always found comic book movies a little bit confusing. You know, my kids will be watching this, and I'll, I'll constantly be asking, okay, now, this character... Um, you know, I was pretty sure that something happened to this character over here, but, but now he's back. And oh yeah, well, and dad, this is what happens. There's all these backstories of these different characters. And sometimes in the comic book world, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll find out something about Spider-Man. I'll read the Spider-Man story and, and, or watch the Spider-Man movie. And then there'll be another Spider-Man movie series or something, or, and, and it'll be different. I'm like, well, what about what happened here? And oh yeah, and the kids will explain it to me, and I just don't get it. Right? And what's happened is, Different authors and different writers have taken these superheroes and and created a storyline, and then another writer will come and create a different storyline, and they'll use the same characters but but make it a little bit different. The Greek writers did the same thing. They'd take a character like Odysseus, and one Greek author would would say one thing about him, and another Greek author would write another story with Odysseus and say something a little bit different. And so there's a lot of different authors and a lot of different stories, and they kind of contradict each other, although my kids say they don't. But anyway, that's not what's happening here. The Pentateuch isn't just a bunch of stories that have been kind of slammed together. Moses has taken these stories, and, and God is, is, and we'll talk about God's process in this in just a second, but as a, a human author, Moses is telling a single story. He's telling us a story that, that we need to understand as, is, is a one big story. And yes, there's the story of, of Adam and Eve, but the story of Adam and Eve is not unrelated to the story of Noah. And the story of Noah is not unrelated to the story of Abraham. And if you don't read the story of Abraham as part of the story of Moses, you're not going to understand the story of Moses rightly. This is a single story with a single author who's telling a single, a single theme here, trying to convey a single theme. 
we don't get that, we miss something very important about what's going on here. The events of, of Numbers are part of the same story as, as Genesis. Moses is telling a single story. We'll talk about what that means more here in a minute. Here's the second thing to think about. Not only does the Pentateuch have a, a human author, secondly, the Pentateuch has a divine author. The Pentateuch has a divine author. And, and who is that divine author, of course? The divine author is, is God. It's God. As we think about both the human and the divine authors of, of Scripture, we see that there's a little bit of tension, right? Peter talks about this in, in 1 Peter 1, and as Peter talks about God's process and the prophets writing, we, we see that the prophets are aware that they don't understand everything that they're writing. There's some things that they don't fully understand, and, and they, they understand that God is telling them not the whole story, and Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the salvation that they've received, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets there. He said they, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so these Old Testament prophets, as they're writing the, the Spirit of Christ within them, helping them write these things, even as they're doing it, they're realizing that they don't understand everything, all the, the implications of what they're writing, specifically about the Christ. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so Peter is saying in the Old Testament, when these prophets were writing about Jesus Christ, they didn't fully understand what they were saying about Jesus Christ. They understood the, the, the glimpse that God had given them, but they understood that there were more things to be revealed later, and they they long to know those things. The angels long to be able to look into God's plan of redemption and understand it in its fullness, but, but they didn't. They couldn't. Now, now think about this. This, this, is, this is pretty cool. The Pentateuch has a human author. It's not just this hodgepodge of laws and here's some stories. I'm going to throw some poetry in there and, and jumble it all together and create Pentateuch soup. That's not what the Pentateuch is. It has an author, single theme. But not only does the Pentateuch have a human author, the Pentateuch has a divine author. And the Pentateuch isn't just a story that's by itself. This divine author has created a, a divine story, this, this great meta narrative that encompasses all of human history. Listen to what we know about Scripture. Let me read you something from Isaiah 44 about God, this divine author. Isaiah 44 says, Thus says the Lord, the, the King of Israel and his Redeemer. This is Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. The Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. God is a God 
who from eternity past determined to redeem and save a rebellious people for his own purposes and glory. The Pentateuch is not unrelated to that plan. The Pentateuch has a human author, but the Pentateuch also has a divine author. Now, what's the implication? The implication is this. The Pentateuch is not a story. The Pentateuch is not a story unrelated to the gospel, but it's the foundational beginning to the story of God's good news for sinners who are separated from him. Do you see that? The Pentateuch is not some, like, here's the gospel story in the New Testament, here's the story of Jesus, and oh, and then we have this kind of, this Pentateuch thing that talks about the law and how people used to be saved by the law and all that stuff, which is not what the Pentateuch is saying, of course. But the, the Pentateuch isn't some unrelated story to the gospel, but really the Pentateuch is the foundational beginning to the story of, God goods, of God's good news for sinners who are separated from him. It's foundational, not tangential. God's good news for sinners separated him. There are things you will not grasp about the gospel or who God is without the Pentateuch. One of my favorite stories are the, the Chronicles of Narnia. I love C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And when I was a kid, my, my parents had this bookshelf, and on the bookshelf were lots of different books. And I think, I think it was kind of like kind of on the bottom of the bookshelf there in, in our house, there were the Chronicles of Narnia, and they were, I think the edition that my parents had was one of the earliest paperback editions of the Chronicles of Narnia, and maybe some of you who are my age, or maybe some of you who are parents of people my age had those books. They were, you know, it was like the psychedelic 60s pictures on them or something, and, and uh, they were, they were there, and I can remember taking them off my parents' bookshelves, and, and they were, they were old enough where they were kind of starting to, to you know, the pages were falling out, and, and the, the, they were, you know, kind of creased and things, and so I could, could just read them really carefully. So there's kind of a nostalgic feeling I have to the Chronicles of Narnia, not just the stories themselves, but the, the order that the books were published in. And if you're kind of a, a big Chronicles of Narnia fan, you know that some editions of the Chronicles of Narnia publish the books in one order and another edition publishes them in, in a different order. One's chronological, one, one's according to the, the times that Lewis, C.S. Lewis wrote them. But I love reading the Chronicles of Narnia, and, and I, love, I love how there's this overarching story to it that, that Lewis wrote. So for example, the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia, according to me, is, is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it tells the story of how these children travel to the land of Narnia through this magical wardrobe, right? And that's the story the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And then you go several stories later and you come to this, this story called The Magician's Nephew. It's a separate book, but in The Magician's Nephew, at the very end, it tells about how this little boy, before, before the events in the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this little boy traveled to Narnia and he came back from Narnia and he had an apple and he planted the apple and this apple grew into an apple tree from Narnia and, and the apple tree you know, was uh, destroyed and he took the wood from it and he built a wardrobe at, when, he was, when he was older. And the wardrobe became the means through which the children in the other story had traveled to Narnia. And I, I, just, I just love it. I just, lo I just love the richness of the stories in the Chronicles of Narnia. How they, they tie together. It's one overarching theme. It had one author. The Pentateuch is not some story separate from the rest of Scripture. But the story of the Pentateuch is foundational 
the foundational beginning of the story of God's good news for sinners who are separated from him. And if you and I are going to understand the fullness of the gospel, we're going to have to understand, we're going to have to understand the Pentateuch. When I come to the gospel of John, and I see John the Baptist cry out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If I don't understand the necessity of a lamb and the story of the Passover and all the fullness of of the richness of that story in the Pentateuch, I can't understand to its fullest what John is saying in the Gospel of John. John the Baptist is saying in the Gospel of John. I need to understand the Pentateuch. It's the Gospel foundations. I learn about sin. I learn about the origins of humanity. I learn about the special people of Israel. I learn about God's redemptive work through the Exodus, there are things about the gospel I can't understand their fullness apart from the Pentateuch. Here's the third truth. Uh, The Pentateuch has an audience. Now this is very interesting and this is something that I think is, is really hard for us to grasp. And I think if we grasped this, we'd understand a lot of our problems with this section of scripture would be solved if we understood this truth. The Pentateuch has an audience. Now, Sometimes we think, well, the audience of the Pentateuch, the audience of the Pentateuch are the people in the wilderness, right? That's what we think sometimes. There are these people in the wilderness, Moses is talking to them, and, and, and that's the audience of, of this section of Scripture. But that's, that's not the case. The audience in the Pentateuch is not the same as the audience of the Pentateuch. Does that distinction make sense? The audience in the Pentateuch is not the same audience as the audience of the Pentateuch. For example, when I was a a kid, my dad had this expression he would say to me when I was in trouble. He would say, Daniel, I don't care. He would say, Daniel, uh, I don't care if you like me when you grow up. I'm going to make a man out of you. That was his expression. Okay. Now, my dad told that story to me, or, or, or said that to me. Now, I've just told that story to you. The audience of the story is you. The audience in the story is me. I was the person hearing something from my dad. Now you're the audience that I'm, that I'm telling the story to. Now here's, here's how it works in the Pentateuch. Sometimes in the Pentateuch, we see God speaking to people. So God says something to Noah. That doesn't mean Noah is the audience of the Pentateuch. God says something to Moses. That doesn't mean that Moses is the audience of the Pentateuch. Sometimes in the story, Moses says something to the people in Israel in the wilderness, that doesn't mean the people in the wilderness are the audience of the Pentateuch. Moses writes this stuff down on the plains of Moab, but he's not writing it down for the people who are wandering around in the wilderness. There are lots of things that take place during the wanderings around in the wilderness that Moses doesn't write down. We think there are lots of laws and regulations that God gives Moses and the people who are living at that time that Moses doesn't write down. He carefully selects some things to write down and to talk about because, and we'll talk about this later, because there's a purpose. Moses carefully selects some things from this time to reveal, to, to, to talk to the audience that he's writing to about. He doesn't tell them everything that happened. He he picks some things. 
He's there in the plains of Moab preparing the people to enter the promised land. And I don't want to get too far ahead here, but I believe what he's doing is he's riding to help the people who are going to come after them, to help them live by faith in God in this land that God is promising them. Do you see the distinction there? The Pentateuch has an audience, and the audience in the Pentateuch, the Israelites went around the wilderness, that, that audience we sometimes hear Moses speaking to is not the audience of the Pentateuch, of this work. The audience was for the people of faith who would come later and need to live life under the new covenant. Here, here's the implication for you and me. Here's the implication for you and me. The Pentateuch isn't a book about abstract laws that have no bearing on my life, but instead the Pentateuch is a book, or if you prefer five books, one story, exhorting me to live the joyful life of faith in God. The Pentateuch isn't some, some story about some, some message to some people who are wandering around the wilderness that really has no bearing on my life, but I'm going to argue to you as, as we go through the Pentateuch that, that Moses has this purpose, and the purpose isn't to tell people, hey, the law is so great and you need to live this life of, of legalistic bondage to the law. I'm going to argue to you that even in the context of the Pentateuch, the, the Pentateuch is this gospel foundation. Moses is telling people, hey, the, the way to live life is by living it in faithful love of God, passionately loving God and living a life of faithful obedience to him. It's not about obeying specific regulations. That's not the, the ultimate purpose of the law. The ultimate purpose of the law is to love God. And Moses, we're going to see, as the divine author, has this, this audience in mind, people who he wants to live in the land and have them live in, in faithful obedience to God, passionate love for God. That's what the, the Pentateuch is about. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, it's very interesting. As we go through the Pentateuch, we, we so often see that Moses understands that things Things aren't great under the law. They're not great under the law. Moses is constantly saying, hey, there's something better coming. I think Moses is constantly pointing to a better priest, a, a better prophet, a, a better king, a better covenant. He says this in Deuteronomy 18, 15. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, Moses wrote of me. I think this is one of the parts where he's doing that. The Lord said to, to me, this is Moses speaking, the Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a, a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. The Pentateuch has an audience. The audience in the Pentateuch is not the same as the audience of the Pentateuch. The audience of the Pentateuch is people who are going to be living in the land that God is providing them. And what it means to me is that the Pentateuch isn't ultimately about a book of, of a bunch of abstract laws or, or legalistic laws that have no bearing on my life. But the book of the Pentateuch is a book exhorting the people of Israel and exhorting me to live a life, the joyful life of faith in God, obedience to him. As we read through the Pentateuch, I, I hope that, that you, you capture that view that I want to live a life of joyful faith in God. Here's, here's a fourth truth that I think is going to help us as we go forward. Here's a fourth truth. Uh, the Pentateuch has a structure. The Pentateuch has a structure to it. 
Sometimes, if we don't, uh, if we don't understand the, the Pentateuch, I, I can approach it this way. I can say, well, you know what, uh, today I'm going to read Genesis 31, and, and then, you know, next I'm going to read the, the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus, wow, there's a lot of stuff in the book of Leviticus. I'm going to go someplace else, and now I'm going to read the book of Numbers, and I'm going to read a little bit from Numbers, and I'm going to read a little bit from Deuteronomy. And we just kind of approach it very casually. But Moses, as the, the human author of the Pentateuch, had a purpose that he was trying to communicate. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He had a purpose he was trying to communicate. He had an audience he was trying to communicate to. God had this divine story that he was trying to, to begin to tell. And so Moses uses a, a structure in order to communicate his theme. He uses some poetry at very strategic parts. He uses narrative at some parts. He uses the law at some parts. And and as as we look at the use of the law that Moses has in the Pentateuch, we're going to see that that Moses and Paul are are right there together. What Paul says, Paul says in Galatians 3.19, why then the law? The law was added because of transgressions, because of sin, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. So Paul says, look, there was this promise given, and then uh, there was sin, and then the law came. And, and Moses, through his structure, is going to tell us exactly the same thing. There's a promise, there's sin, and so the law is given to help people in times of sin. It was put in place by angels through an intermediary, Paul says in Galatians 3. Moses is going to say exactly the same thing. There's a structure to the Pentateuch. It has a beginning and it has an end. It has a beginning as, as time begins. In the beginning, there's, there's God, and we're going to see God there at the very beginning of Genesis. And the, the, the Pentateuch has an end as the people are waiting to go into the promised land. And there's this question, are they going to be obedient or are they not? Are they going to live by faith or are they going to passionately love God or not? What's, what's the implication? The implication is this. The Pentateuch isn't designed to be read casually but carefully that's the implication the implication is that the the pentateuch isn't designed to to be read casually but carefully i'm going to add that add that up there as as we think about the pentateuch we see that there's a a design to it and you can't just read it casually but you have to read it very very carefully we have to treat god's word as important what is the author's message to the people to whom he's writing and and how does that apply to me now all these first four truths there's an audience to the Pentateuch. There's a divine author. There's a human author. There's, there's a structure. All this helps us understand the purpose. Here, here's kind of an illustration that, that I think helps us understand the idea of structure in the Pentateuch. And it helps us understand as, as Christians how we approach the laws and, and those, those sorts of things. Uh, this, this past week, I uh, picked my, my favorite book off my uh, off my bookshelf, uh, The Passion for the Fatherless by me. And uh, I, I picked this, this book off my, my, <laughs> my bookshelf, and I, 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 I randomly opened into, into the book, and I pointed my, my finger at, at a passage, and it, w- it was gold. But um, it, w- it, was a, it was a story there, randomly selected. It was a story about a, a woman talking about her a- adoption from, uh, of, of three children from Colombia. She was talking to someone else, and I was taking that story of, again, there was an audience that she was speaking to, and I was telling that story to a new audience, to the, the readers. 
Now, someone might take that portion of the book. They might say, oh, Daniel is, is advocating that, that everyone adopt three children from, from uh, Columbia. That's not the case. The fact that the Pentateuch has a structure means that, that we look at where, where something occurs in the Pentateuch. And so the fact that my, my book has a structure, that story of this, this woman telling this, this to, to a friend, it occurs at a certain place in the book. It occurs after, after a chapter that talks about when you shouldn't be involved in orphan care ministry. It occurs after a chapter of deciding how you should be involved in orphan care ministry. And so after a person has, has done all those things, then you come to, to this part of the, the book. You see, there's a structure to it. And there's a structure to the Pentateuch. These laws are given at a certain place in the Pentateuch to help us understand something about the character of God, the reality of sin, and how this group of people were to live at, at this point in time. If you don't understand the structure, you're going to miss what Moses is trying to communicate. And that, that brings us to the last thing I want us to think about, the, the fifth truth here, and that's that the Pentateuch has a purpose. The Pentateuch has a purpose. That, that's what we, now, let me, let me tell you some wrong theories that people have about the purpose of the Pentateuch. Some people say, well, the Pentateuch, and, uh, and whatever, the, whatever place we land as we talk about what the purpose of the Pentateuch is, it has to be a purpose that it encompasses the whole structure, right? So some people say, well, the, the Pentateuch is about a biography of Moses. Or some people say, well, the, the Pentateuch is about uh, living according to the law, life under the law, or it's a, a champion of, of legalism. And, and, and those things aren't true. Let me just read you a few things that we see Scripture saying about the Pentateuch. In Joshua, Joshua says this. Listen to how he sums up all the laws and the things in the Pentateuch. He says to the people at the end of Joshua, Joshua 22, verse 5, only be very careful to observe the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. What is, what is Joshua saying here? He's saying that the essence of obedience to the law is to love God and to walk in his ways, to, to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Joshua doesn't think that the purpose of the Pentateuch is, is to point people to some legalistic burden, but it's about loving God. Abraham, in the book of Genesis, God is talking about Abraham to Isaac, and he says, Abraham, this is Genesis 26, verse 5, Abraham obeyed my voice and he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. That's in Genesis 26, 5. So Abraham comes, here's the law, Abraham comes before it, and Moses, as he tells the story of Abraham, says Abraham is one who kept the law even before the law came. How did he do that? Well, Genesis tells us as well, because he believed God, he lived by faith, and the Lord credited his faith to him as righteousness. Jesus, in John 5, he says, look, guys, you're missing it. Moses is going to accuse you. You've focused, you've focused on these individual laws, thinking that the Pentateuch is all about these laws and these regulations, but really the Pentateuch is, is gospel foundation. The Pentateuch is about me. Here's the implication. Here's the implication. The Pentateuch isn't about 
living by works. But the Pentateuch is rather about living by faith instead of works. You say, well, Daniel, that's, that's a lot different than my understanding of, of the laws, what everyone has always said about these laws in this section of Scripture. Don't, don't just take my word for it. Think about what Joshua says. Think about what Abraham says. Think about what Paul says about the law. Think about what Jesus says about this section of Scripture. And we're going to walk through it together. And I think you're going to see that that's the case. The Pentateuch isn't a section of Scripture advocating living by works, but about living by faith instead of works. The main idea that I want us to, to grasp as we go through the series is that you and I need to live by faith. We must live by faith. A bigger, kind of that main idea is expounded. Here, here's kind of a, a sentence that I think encapsulates what's happening in, in the Pentateuch. God is exhorting his people. This is what we're going to explore over the next months. God exhorts his people to live by faith in his promised seed, that's the Messiah, and he promises his kingdom rest to those who passionately love him and demonstrate their faith through obedience to the law. That's The short version is live by faith. That's the longer version. Let me say it again. God is exhorting his people to live by faith in his promised seed. And he promises his kingdom rest to those who passionately love him and demonstrate their faith through obedience to his law. Live by faith. Live by faith. That's what's happening in this section of Scripture. Jesus tells us that this section of Scripture is not unrelated to him. He's not saying, well, there's, there's the law of Moses, and here's the law of Moses, and you, you Jews are following the law of Moses, and I'm, I'm presenting something new. I'm presenting the gospel. This is something new, and it's something better, and so do away with that Moses thing and follow me, Jesus. No, Jesus is saying, uh, Moses is going to testify against you because you've missed the whole thing that he was writing about. This is, the, the Pentateuch was gospel foundations. It told us about sin and the reality of sin and how sin entered into humanity. The, the Pentateuch tells us about who God is, creator God, who is absolutely, completely sovereign over all things. It tells about people who are in rebellion to God, not just Adam and Eve, but how the nations were in rebellion to God. And then the Pentateuch tells the story of how God, by his sovereign choice and his, his grace and mercy, he picked a person to be a people through whom he would bless all nations and how he would bring through this, this promised line a seed, the Messiah, who would save people from their sins and present the good news, the gospel of a kingdom to all nations. And how do we live in light of that truth? We live by faith. We trust in that promised seed. We trust in God to be faithful to do what he's called us to do. You, if you take this part of Scripture seriously, if you read it carefully, if you read it passionately, you are going to love God more and have a deeper appreciation for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ as we go through these stories than you do right now. And that should be exciting that is why we're studying the Pentateuch. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this section of Scripture. We thank you for how we are going to learn about you as we go through it. And we pray you would help us to, to understand you more fully as a result of, of studying these, 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 uh, these books, this one book, this, this Pentateuch. We pray that our, our love for you would be evident. Our love for you would, would be contagious, that others would have a desire to know you and love you. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.
Ramón Gonzalo Prado y Ricardo Gonzalo, entre otros.